for this day. We thank you, Lord, for the weather clearing off and uh, giving us some good weather uh, this evening. We want to thank you, Lord, for the safety that you've given us throughout this day. God, I pray that you'd help me in these next few moments to express from your word what you would have me to. And God, that uh, we would take uh, some comfort and encouragement from the message tonight. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. This evening, I think most of you know that uh, for quite some time in our study of Hebrews, we have been dealing with some material that is somewhat weighty and somewhat uh, heavy by way of its content. And so last week, as we were looking in the verses, verses 9 uh, down through 12, something that was stated is, is that the writer of the letter knew that he was uh, dealing with some weighty and some uh, significant uh, matters and issues. And as he was writing, he kind of changed the tone a little bit, and he expressed a confidence that he had in their testimony of salvation, but it was not just based upon their verbal testimony of salvation, but it was based on their actions and the fact that they ministered to one another, that they served others. And as he was writing to them, something he did was he encouraged them, in verse number 12, to be followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And so what he did was he encouraged them to find a godly example and to follow that example. And so last week I tried to remind us that you and I would do ourselves a favor if we tried to find an example of a godly person and pursue that example. Okay, and so I don't know if you have someone in your life that kind of serves as a mentor, someone that serves as a spiritual example to you, but if you don't, you need to find one. Let's wake up, okay? I know it's a little humid outside. I know it's a, it's a little stuffy. Are y'all hot? No? Okay, a couple of us are. And uh, since I'm one of them, I'm going to hope it cools down some a little bit. But anyways, all right. Susie told me I could take off my jacket, but I'm so sweaty I'm not going to do that. So anyway. Tonight I want to begin with a thought that uh, I know I have mentioned before. I know that this is not anything new or original with me. Uh, I think many of you would share my thoughts on this. The thought would be this. I appreciate honest people. And I don't have much use for a dishonest person. I appreciate when someone says, this is what I'm going to do, and they do it. I appreciate when someone says, I'm not going to do it, and they don't do it. I like it when someone says, this is the position I take, and that is the position they take. I, I like honest people, and I don't have a lot of use for dishonest people. Something else I don't have a lot of use for and something that really bothers me is when people lie to me and they think I'm so stupid I can't see through it. You've had people like that in your life, no doubt, haven't you? They're standing there telling you something. You know it's not true. They know it's not true. But they think they're such a good salesman. They think they're so eloquent in their lies that you're actually dumb enough to believe what it is they're saying. And that, I don't know about you, but that just kind of goes all over me. Whenever I know someone is lying to me, I just personally, just within me, I am fighting the urge to just say, shut up. I'm not stupid. And I don't want you to act like I'm stupid and assume you can lie to me and me not see right through it. 
And I don't know about you, but when a person has lied to me enough, I, I'm of a personality, and I'm not saying that this is good or right, but I'm just saying it is what I am. But when a person lies to me enough, I am able to just cut them off and write them off and not have any dealings with them anymore. You're a liar. I don't need you. You don't tell the truth. I, why would I need you in my life? You're just going to lie to me. You're just going to try to mislead me. You're just going to try to deceive me. I don't need that. And so that's what I struggle with sometimes is you're a liar and I have no use for liars, and so I don't need you in my life, period, under any circumstance, really. And we know this, that honest people are hard to come by. Now, I know all of us are honest. Not so. I've said this before, and you know this, that, that there are church members, and you just know, okay, their lips are moving, they're lying. They're telling me something, and they, they think I'm stupid enough to believe this one. <laughs> they think I haven't already heard the truth from some other source. Honest people are hard to find. And as a result, here's what happens. We become, as I mentioned in Sunday school from another angle, but in, in our lives, here's what happens. We become very jaded. And we become cynics, and we begin to be skeptics. And, and here is what we begin to do. We begin to assume that everyone is lying to us. And so many times people have to prove themselves to us that they are honest people before we really begin to believe them that they are men or women of their word. Would you say that that's true in your life? I mean, I, I, maybe I'm the rare one in this scenario, but I think sometimes we get so used to being lied to that we just assume everyone lies to us, and we assume that people just in general don't tell the truth. And whether we realize this or not, that has an effect on our spiritual lives. That doubt and that skepticism and that cynicism that we carry through life in dealing with people, so many times that spills over and it carries over into our spiritual lives, and it then affects our relationship with God who is our Father. And this evening as we look at the text, I want to just say right up front, all right, now, as we look at this text, this is a message within a greater context, all right? Uh, this is not a primary point that the writer is trying to communicate, but rather it's an example that he's going to use to tie in the previous verses. And as I was studying this week, I thought, you know what? We, we just need this. We just need this. I need this as an individual and as a pastor, and, and maybe you would need this. I think we sometimes as Christians just need to be reminded of this. But start in verse 16 tonight, okay? In verse number 16, here is what the writer does. He reminds them of the nature of mankind. He says, For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. 
Now, in verse 16, here's what he does. Again, he points to the human nature of mankind, and he is talking about two different parties involved in, in some kind of a deal or in some kind of a, of a contract, some kind of an, a negotiation. And what he says is this, is that men will verily swear by the greater. And so if you've got two parties who are trying to come together on some kind of an issue in some kind of negotiation, here's what's going to happen. One one who is trying to protect his interest and the other who is trying to protect their interest in an effort trying to in an effort to try and confirm in the mind of the other person that they are telling the truth they will swear by something greater than themselves that would have been a practice used then it is a practice used today but he goes on to say this and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. And so he says, here's what happens when men get together and they're negotiating something. Because there is a level of doubt, because there is a level of distrust, because there is a level of, of whether or not this person is telling me the truth, both sides are saying, I swear by this, or I swear by this, I swear by something bigger than myself, or bigger than whatever it is we're talking about. But when they make this oath, or they make this treaty, here's what it does. As that oath is made for confirmation that both parties will do what they've said they will do, then that brings an end to the strife or the conflict between the parties. That's when both parties are able, in a sense, to shake hands, walk away from the deal, and feel good about it. So that's kind of the setting that the writer is dealing with. People who do not trust people and what people do in an effort to prove themselves and remove the strife or the conflict in the hearts and minds of the people involved in the negotiation. So go back to verse number 12. In verse number 12, the writer says this, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. All right, and so as I mentioned just a moment ago, he is writing to the believers, and he says to his fellow Jews, he says, I want you to be followers of them who through faith and patience, this confidence and this perseverance, they inherit the promises. So what does it mean to inherit something? It means to be the recipient of something. All right, they come into possession of something. They, they are able to take hold of something that once belonged to someone else, and so now they are the inheritors of a promise. Now, many times, and I know I've said this before, but many times when we think of an inheritance, we think of something that is received once someone has passed on from this life. And certainly that would make sense. That, that is uh, compatible with what the word inherit means. But we need to remember this tonight that it is possible for someone to inherit something prior to another person's passing. Okay? If someone were to say, this will be yours at some point, they did not say, this will be yours when I'm dead. They just said, at some point, this will be yours. And so it could be that someone says, okay, you are now at a maturity level that I can trust you with this. You are now at an age where I can give you this and feel confident you'll handle it correctly. And so you can inherit something before you or they pass from this life, and that's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. Anyways, we're just going to pretend we all believe that. Now, that being said, in verse number 13, here's what the writer does. He directs their attention to Abraham. To Abraham. Now, from one Jew writing to another Jew, here is what all the Jews would have known. 
Abraham was the father of their nation. Okay, Abraham was, was certainly uh, a figure in their lives that they would have known about, that they would have understood the history of. And so the writer begins to write of Abraham, and notice what it says, For when God made promise to Abraham. He made a promise to Abraham. Okay, well, if God makes a promise... How good is the word? Well, it's pretty good. Well, how do we know? Well, we had glanced over to verse 18, and we'll deal with this next week. But it says in verse number 18 about God, which it is impossible for God to lie. It's not that God could lie. He just chooses not to. It's just God is incapable of lying because God is perfect and God is flawless and God is sinless. And so God never says something that he does not mean. And if God says something is going to happen, it's going to happen. And if God says it's not going to happen, it's not going to happen. And so in verse number 13, the writer says, For when God made promise to Abraham. Now, what was the promise? The promise was this in verse 14, saying, Surely, blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. So if you go back to Genesis chapter 12, and I don't ask you to do it right now, but if you were to go back to Genesis chapter 12, this is when God first speaks to Abraham, and God tells him that I'm going to make you a great nation. I will bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you, and I'm going to multiply your seed. And that is the promise that is given to Abraham. Now, as you read through the Scripture, here's what you find. You find that upon hearing that, upon the initial meeting between Christ or between God and Abraham, here's what happens. You see no signs of doubt. You see no signs of hesitation on the part of believing the Word of God. Abraham was a man of faith. So when God came to him and said, I'm going to do this in your life, when God said, this is what's going to happen, I want to take you to this land, from the, from the recordings that we have, everything that Abraham did was he responded in faith to what God's promise was. But notice what he says in verse number 13. For when God made promise to Abraham... Because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. Now remember what mankind wants when negotiations are taking place. They want some kind of a promise. They want some kind of an oath. They want something that will confirm in their mind that you are going to do what you're going to do. You're going to do what you said you're going to do. That you're going to follow through with this commitment. Now, if you think about this, it says in verse 13, when God made promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself. What is that talking about? Well, if you go back to Genesis chapter 15, here's what you see. You see that God once again says to Abraham, I'm going to bless your seed. I'm going to multiply you. I'm going to make you a great nation. Now, between chapter 12 and chapter 15, there's something we've got to realize, and that is this. We don't know how much time has passed. 
Because you and I can read those chapters in a matter of few moments. I know for myself, I'm guilty sometimes of thinking, well, it must have been a relatively quick process. But there could have easily have been years that passed between chapter 12 and chapter 15. All right, and so in Genesis chapter 12, whenever he first hears the words from God, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to multiply you, I'm going to do great things in your life, Abraham accepts it, and Abraham just believes that God is going to do what he's going to, what he said he's going to do. But as you come to chapter 15, God says to Abraham again, God, I, I mean, or, or I'm sorry, God says to Abraham again, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to multiply you, and it's in chapter 15 that Abraham, I think in sincerity, but you see his humanity revealed in the chapter, he says, God, how can this be? Seeing I have no heir. Lord, you, you've said you're going to do something great through me. God, you've said that you're going to make a nation from me and that it will be as the stars of the heavens and, and the sands of the sea. God, I hear you. But it's kind of hard for that to happen if me and Sarah don't have any kids. So what did God do in chapter 15? In chapter 15, God made an oath. He made a covenant with Abraham once more to prove to Abraham, I will do what I've said I'm going to do. This isn't real thrilling so far. I can sense this. But notice at the end of verse number 15. It says of Abraham, he obtained the promise. He obtained the promise. What does that mean? It means this. He came into possession of what God said he was going to do. I told you in chapter 12, I'm going to make a great nation of you. I told you in chapter 12 that this is what's going to happen in your life. As we've come to chapter 15, for you and I who read the scripture in that manner, we come to chapter 15 and, and, and the Lord says, I'm going to do this. And Abraham says, but God, how's it going to happen? I don't have a son. And the Lord says, I told you I'm going to do this, so I'm going to have this covenant with you. And when he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself because there is nothing greater than God. So God confirms it in the heart of Abraham, I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do. And in verse 15, it says that Abram or Abraham, he obtained the promise that was made to him. Now this evening, for just a moment, I want us to think about this. God cannot lie. I want to say again, it's not that he could, he just chooses not to. That's not God. God cannot lie. It is not something within him that he is capable of doing. Now, as we understand that about God, you know what our problem is? We're used to liars. 
We're used to people not doing what they say they're going to do. We get used to people not following through with what they've said they're going to do. Someone says, I'm not going to do it, and then they turn right around and they do it. We get so used to broken promises. We get so used to people not fulfilling their obligations. We get so used to people, again, not doing what, what they have vowed or said they're going to do. And so, so many times, you know what happens? We read the Word of God. We read the promises of God. We read the declarations of God. And because we have become so jaded because of our dealings with sinful men, here is what we do so many times. We begin to question the faithfulness of our God. I hope you would be honest enough tonight to admit this. There have been times you've questioned God. That you've doubted God's faithfulness. Oh, Brother Kyle, I have never doubted the faithfulness of God. So you're going to tell me not once have you ever worried. Because if we truly believe in the faithfulness of God, we'll not worry. You know why we worry? We worry because we're not sure God's going to do what God said He's going to do. Oh, Brother Kyle, I, I don't ever, no, I, I don't ever doubt God. No, I don't ever, no, that, that, that's not me. I mean, some people may struggle with that. But Brother Kyle, you just, you got to know that that's not what I struggle with. So you've never been anxious, huh? Listen, if we have complete trust and complete confidence in God, then you and I would never have a reason to be anxious. We doubt Him, don't we? Okay, we don't, uh, apparently. I doubt Him sometimes. And I wrestle with this. It's in part because of my flesh, and it's also in part because... It's just hard to believe that someone would not lie, could not lie, and is always telling you the truth. Sometimes people wrestle with their trust and their confidence in God. Sometimes as great of an individual as we think we are, we pull an Abraham and, and we say, God, how can this be? I mean, look at the circumstances, look at the situation, and nothing's happened yet. God, I, I know you said this, but, but, listen, if God said he's going to do it, or if he says he's not going to do it, then there is never a reason to put a but at the end of a statement. See, here is the writer, and he is saying to the audience, listen, you need to find an example to follow. You need to find someone that you can imitate, someone who through faith and patience, they inherited the promises. And as he kind of does a side note, he says, let me just throw in someone like Abraham for an example. Here was a man who received a great promise. Here is a man who was told something wonderful, and eventually he obtained the promise. But notice in verse 15, before the writer reminds them that he obtained the promise, he said this, And so, after he had patiently endured... 
he obtained the promise. Why did Abraham stumble even a little bit in his faith? Why did he stumble even a little bit in his confidence and his reliance that God was going to do what he said he was going to do? Seemingly because it did not happen as quickly as he thought it was going to happen. The only reason you have to patiently endure something is because it's not happening as quickly as you want it to happen. (laughs) Here is Abraham, and he is told, Surely, blessing I will bless thee, multiplying I will multiply thee. That is a wonderful promise. Abraham doesn't stumble. Abraham doesn't have a hard time receiving the promise. Abraham doesn't have a hard time believing it. But after years have passed and the womb of Sarah is, is still closed and she is still barren, after all these years, there's a struggle of some sort, but he obtained the promise after he patiently endured. What's the point? The point is this. We serve a faithful God. We serve a God who is going to do what He says He's going to do. We serve a God who will not do what He says He is not going to do. We don't have to be jaded. We don't have to be skeptics when it comes to our interaction with God. We can know without doubt that God is going to do what He said He is going to do every time. We can know it. We can know it. We can know it. What we have to get into our mind is this. He may not always do it on our time frame. God, you said if I would do this, then you would do this. That's exactly right. But you're not doing it. Well, this may be a time and a season of patiently enduring. Well, I don't want to patiently endure. Well, that's not your problem to worry about. It is your problem, but it's not your problem to worry about. Well, well, God, you said that you're going to do this. Okay, I'm going to do it. Well, well, why haven't you done it yet? It seems like you ought to be doing it by now. Well, that's your problem because you're working from your time frame. You're not looking at this from my time frame. God, you said you weren't going to allow this to happen, and it seems like you're allowing it to happen. Hey, hey, listen, hold on, hold on. The, the, The story isn't finished being written yet, God could say. That may happen, but what's going to happen is even greater. And, you know, you just have to patiently endure and get through this before you receive what I've promised you you're going to receive. If God says it, God will do it. I don't know about you, but that's an encouragement to me. It is encouraging to me to to go home tonight and say, Okay, God, if your word says it, you're going to do it. I may need it this week. I don't know, but... There may be something that happens this week where I just have to say, okay, God, you said this. It's encouraging to know that Abraham was one of those examples who received the promise, he inherited the promise through faith and patience. It's it's encouraging to know that he obtained the promise because he patiently endured. And so it's good for me to be reminded that not only is God faithful to do what he says, 
but as a result, I need to patiently endure whatever I have to endure before I receive the promise. God, hurry. I'll do it when I'm ready. Because God knows when it's best. God, I'd like for you to do it now. Well, I'm sure you would. But then my perfect will could not be accomplished. God, I want this to quit right now. Okay, I, I understand. We'll worry about that later. Right now, I'm accomplishing my perfect will in your life. It'll happen when it needs to happen, but not a day before and not a day late. Do you ever wrestle with doubt? Do you ever struggle with worry and anxiety? Do you ever look at the circumstances of life and say, man, I just, I don't know. Let me just remind you, God will do what he says he's going to do. All we have to do is be patient and endure whatever the circumstances are. And I know that's not fun. It's not how we in our culture are trained to wait. But in dealing with God, we have to patiently endure. And if we will patiently endure, then the promise will be obtained by us at some point. That's not a name-it-and-claim-it mentality. That is not a, a doctrine that is teaching some falsehood. No, it's just if we'll be patient, we'll get what God has said we're going to get. We'll not get what he says we're not going to get. God will do exactly what he says on his time frame, not ours. Just be patient. Just be patient. Be patient. Let's all stand this evening for a word of prayer. Father, as we come to you this evening, I pray that you'd help us tonight to be encouraged by your faithfulness. God, I pray that you'd help us to be encouraged by the simple statement that it is impossible.